So would you join me by turning to James chapter 5? We have just a few more weeks in our series in James. James chapter 5, and we're going to pick up on verse 13. I've had comments through the years and probably even just this year about, boy, the church here at Faith prays a lot. They pray for each other, and pastors pray, and members pray, and they pray together in services, and they pray. My answer to that would be, how can we not pray? I am so needy. We are so needy. The things that we need, the things that need to happen in our lives, a changed heart, power to obey God, joy to come from our hearts so that we can show him off well. We can't produce that. We need God's help. How could we not pray? And God has so mercifully and graciously offered us promises and said, ask, seek, and knock. And so we need to be a people that pray. In Luke 18, it begins, and Jesus told a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. And I want to say to you this morning from our James passage, Christians ought always to pray. And let me say it this way. Since all of us are sinners, we struggle with our selfishness and our bitterness and our pettiness and our complaining and our careless words and our lusts and our envy and greed and our uncaring ways and unkindness and disrespectfulness and our desiring the wrong thing. And if you don't struggle with any of those things, you probably don't need to be here. But since all of us are sinners and all of us are sufferers, or we will be because we live in this world, we experience pain like cancer or colds or work pressures or financial struggles or injustices or friends who mistreat us or disappointing relationships stress, hard family life. Since all of us are sinning and suffering, my message this morning is sinning and suffering Christians ought always to pray. And before we look at the text this morning, I want to help us by pondering these things as we think about prayer. We pray because we are weak and God is infinitely strong. And we pray because we are undeserving sinners and he loves to glorify his mercy and show us grace. We know that because he has said it over and over again in his word. And we we pray because God has invited us to ask him for help and with promises of help. And we need to come to him. But I say this lastly before we look at this text. Prayer is a gift only to his children. Not everyone is his children. Everyone is his creatures, but we are made his children when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the power to become children of God. Everyone who believes on his name 
And if you're here this morning and you are not yet his child, I believe I welcome you into his family by believing in him and receiving him and entering into the most glorious family and father and life, not free of suffering, but surrounded by his love and given a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let's read James chapter 5, verses 13 and 8. Will you join me? I'm going to read it. You follow along. Let's hear God's word. James, as he ends this letter, what will he say? He just finished talking about patience, the need to have patience. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great powers as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is God's word. So who's this passage for? Well, it's for believing people, and I invite you to believe in Christ. It's for suffering people, it's for cheer, cheerful people, it's for sick people, it's for families of sick people, it's for church people, they have elders to call, it's for sinful people, they have sins to confess and be forgiven. And, and what do you see here is clear in this passage? Well, I see some things that are clear. Suffers are to pray. And cheerful people are to sing praises, another form of prayer. And the weak and the sick are to call elders to pray. And believers should be part of a church that have elders that they can call. And churches should have godly elders who are willing and able to go and pray in the name of the Lord. And prayer is to be done in the name of the Lord. And the prayers of a righteous person is powerful. It's clear that ordinary Christians have access to the power of prayer. And sickness and sin have a connection but sometimes sickness is related to a particular sin, but, it always, it, but your sin isn't always the reason for your sickness. Christians should pray and they should confess their sins to one another. That seems clear. We might not know all what that means, but that's what it says here. What's not clear in this passage are things like, what's the anointing with oil? Why call the elders? Can you call others? What is the prayer of faith that will heal the sick, according to this passage? Why doesn't this happen every time we pray? And why is Elijah brought into this passage? And, and who is supposed to confess sins to whom? 
And with all these things in mind, one thing is clear that I want us to really hear and take away both this week and next week because I want to te- te- give you four main points, two of which we'll look at this morning and two of which we'll look at next Sunday morning as we take this, these verses. What is clear is this, sinning and suffering Christians ought always to pray. And oh, what a gift it is when we learn to pray. Oh, what is a gift when we take this passage and the truths and the commands of this passage as God's good, not only good advice, but his commands in love to his children to say, this is the medicine for your life. Philippians 4 says that we pray with thanksgiving, taking all our anxieties to him. Why do we pray and what do we pray for? We pray for forgiveness and we pray for deliverance and we do it with humble dependence and devotion to a powerful prayer-hearing God so that we find in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, cast all your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. Psalm 50 says, call on me in the day of trouble and I will answer you and I will deliver you. Psalm 51 says, cry out to me for mercy and confession of sin. Proverbs 28 says that he who confesses his sin will receive mercy. Luke 18 says that Jesus will give justice to his own who cry out to him day and night. Psalm 34 says, when the righteous cry for help, He hears and he delivers them out of their trouble. And in this passage, James says, pray, cry out to me. He tells us to pray as individuals. He tells us to pray with the elders. He tells us to pray for one another and with one another and to confess to one another. And he tells us to pray like the prophet Elijah. So there's four kinds of prayer I see in verses 13 through 18. We're gonna, I'm going to list them all to you this morning. We'll look at the first two in detail. The first one is prayer as individuals. Prayer as individuals. Verse 13. Look at verse 13 with me. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. See that question? An answer, question, an answer. It's like a little catechism. He says, he's going to ask a question. Are you in this, are you in this situation? Is this, then do this. If you're in this situation, you do this. To the afflicted, is anyone among you suffering? I guess I, I, guess I want to ask this. Is anyone among you suffering or know someone who is suffering right now? Raise your hand. I think if you listen to that, if you know someone's suffering or you're suffering, that's everybody. He says, if you're suffering, that can mean experiencing a difficulty of any kind. If you remember what I, how I defined suffering a couple weeks ago by Elizabeth Elliot, she said that suffering can be when we having, having what we don't want, we have cancer, we have the cold, we have the toothache, we have the heartache at work. We have the situation that we have to deal with. Having anything that we don't want or wanting something that we don't have. I long to have this, but I don't, and I'm hurting. 
If anyone is suffering, this word suffering just has the idea of a difficulty. You're in a difficult place. How do you respond? This passage says, let him or her pray. God wants you to cry out to him. It is as simple as that sounds and as basic as it should seem, it is always often not the case in which the first response in which when we are suffering, we try to fix it before we go to God. And yet, oh, we have a treasure trove of promises and commands. And yet these commands to pray are not just some commands from this cosmic God who's just trying to make us do more things. It is from a loving God who has covenanted with us and says to him, says to us, I want you to live all your days in absolute dependence on me and I'm gonna come alongside you and you just lift up your voice and, and the mark of my people is those who call on the name of the Lord and they say, help me, I need you. I need you to deliver me, I need you to forgive me, I need you to change me, I need you to help my daughter and my son and my parents I need you to come and change this or help me with this situation. We could take the Psalms. I, I, I spent this morning just praying and thinking about Psalms. And I, I went through the first 10 Psalms and just wrote down phrase after phrase of God's promise of how he hears us in our cries. I don't have them here, but I, I, I'm going to remind you of other things from God's words. The Psalms say, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. To see him seeking God for deliverance. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken because I am going to him and I cannot stop. When I suffer, I pray. Or Psalm 62, the psalmist says, on God rests my salvation, my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times. Children, teenagers, sorry, you're not children, but teenagers who are in this room, trust in him at all times. Look to the God of your parents, and if your parents aren't following Jesus, Look to others in this room, but look to this God in the book and follow Jesus. He is trustworthy. And cry, learn to talk to him. Cry out to him. Those who are suffering, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge, the psalmist says. Or the psalmist in 130, we sing this song. Out of the depths, O Lord, I cry, O Lord, I'll hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Or Psalm 25. To you I lift up my voice, or my soul. Not even my voice, my soul. Let me stop there. Are you in that place right now where you feel like you, if you're going to lift up anything, you're just going to lift up your soul? Your heart is so aching it is so overwhelmed, and it, it might be one big thing that has just thrown you off everything, and you're overwhelmed, or it might be not one thing, but what feels like a thousand things that are overwhelming you. And the psalmist says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I put my trust. Let me not be put to shame. 
He says, lead me in your truths. Remember your mercy, O Lord, your steadfast love. Remember not my sin of my youth or my transgressions. You see, God's people, when they are suffering, they are to pray. Oh, I, I hope it doesn't sound this morning like another, just a, a cliche. Well, did you pray about it? Yes, we are to pray, God, please help us. And for the rest of our lives, we are to help each other. And this word is to help us learn how to pray in a way that as we draw near to God, holding on to his promises, he draws near to us in a special way like we never could have imagined. We pray why and for what? Well, we pray that when we're in, if you're suffering, I just encourage you today, if you're suffering, pray for forgiveness and restoration. Some of you need to pray for forgiveness and restoration because you haven't done that. You haven't confessed your sins to the Lord and you need to cry out to God. You're suffering, but you haven't looked to him and you have rejected him and you've looked to other things. And today you need to pray to him and you need to say, oh God, forgive me for turning to other things and not to you. Father, forgive me for finding my satisfaction and security and other things. Oh God, forgive me and restore me. And yet the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless, he says, bless and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. For in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I do believe that many in this room probably need to, in their suffering right now, start by crying out to God and saying, God, would you forgive and restore me? And you, need to go to, and you might need to go to someone, and it doesn't need to be a pastor. It can be. It could be a leader in this church, but it doesn't have to be. It could be just a member in this church. You say, will you pray with me and for me? I'm struggling with a sin, and not one of us should be surprised if someone says they're struggling with the sin, and none of us, we should all be ready to have an atmosphere in which we can listen to each other and say, I am praying for you. I have 46 years of God forgiving me from my sins, and I'm going to need it to the rest of my life. Let's go to him together. That's next week. We're going to look at for confessing to one another and praying for one another. But we should also go to God when suffering and pray because he heals and delivers. Maybe you have a chronic illness, cancer, headaches, depression, some other mental illness, some difficulty. He heals all our diseases. Now I'm going to say more about this in just a little bit when he gets, says call the elders. But he does not always heal, but he does choose to and loves to heal and come near to those who are sick in a special way. He is our hiding place, the psalmist says. He preserves us from trouble and he surrounds us with shouts of deliverance when we've been in trouble and he brings us to himself. 
We should pray for healing and we should pray for deliverance. God doesn't say, hey, it's, I'm sovereign, so if I deliver you and if I heal you, that's in my hands, so you should just leave it. No, he says, I think he shows us time and time again, pray for deliverance, pray for healing. And he, what should we pray for? He, we should pray for sustaining strength in the midst of our suffering. There, and str- not only sustaining, but growth because of our suffering. Three times the Apostle Paul cried out to God with, in, I think, major seasons of prayer to God because he had this affliction, a suffering. James says, if you suffer, pray. Paul had it. He was suffering from what he called a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, three times I pleaded with God that he, it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to sustain you with my grace, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm going to keep you weak, and I'm going to show you my strength in a way that would not be there. I'm not going to take away all of your loneliness, he would say to us, But instead, I'm going to come and in your loneliness, I'm going to show you a new side of me and I'm going to care for you. I'm not going to take away your physical pain right now, but I'm going to come alongside and show you the bearer of all pains and I'm going to bring the nearness of Christ to you. And Paul says, his strength was sufficient to me, so much so that he says, I would more gladly have my weaknesses stay with me so that the power of Christ would rest on me. I think that Christians, when we're suffering, we should pray all those things. We should pray, oh God, would you forgive me if we've sinned and we're aware of any sin? Oh God, search me and know me if there's something I have not confessed. And oh God, would you heal me and deliver me? But God, if you don't choose to do that, would you sustain, strengthen, and grow me? And by the way, God, before you heal me, Help me to learn everything you want me to learn from you. Help me not to waste the suffering. James says, if any of you is suffering, let him pray. Let him go to God, cry out to God. And then he says, is any of you, is anyone cheerful? That that word cheerful just means emotionally encouraged and joyful. There's an emotional, you might still be going under, you might still be experiencing all the circumstances of hardships, but you know that. I know that some of you have said, Pastor Daniel, nothing's changed, but I just feel cheerful, glad. God's got this. He's in control. And then sometimes we don't feel that. He says, if anyone's cheerful, let them sing praise. It's very simple here. We are to be people that sing praise to God. He will cheer us, and we need to sing. We need to sing when we're not cheered. That's why there's songs of lament. There's songs of faith in God and of trust. You know that one of the most commanded, maybe the most commanded command in all of the Bible is to sing to the Lord. And here he tells us to sing to the Lord we should turn our gladness into praise. Do you do that? Are, are you cheerful this morning? Sing. Sing praise to God. Sing it here in church and sing it in the shower. Sing it in the car. 
Sing it at home with your family. Sing praise. Give thanksgiving to God for what he's done. Praise him and adore him for who he is. This passage calls us sinning and suffering Christians. And it says you ought always to pray. Singing, crying out for deliverance and help. So that's one way. He says we are to pray as individuals. Praying to God, singing to God. But number two, we are to pray We are to pursue prayer by the elders. Look at verses 14 through 15 with me. James asks another question, and then he moves in and explains what he means here. He says, James asks this question, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins... He will be forgiven. Presumably in this this passage, the sick are probably so sick that they're bedridden. They're unable to gather with the people of God. They're they're a shut-in or they're they're staying at home and maybe they send a relative and they call for the elders of the church. This word sick literally means those who are weak, That word is often and most often used to refer to illness. Usually does mean physical ill, but it can refer to a broader range of things like weakness of any kind, physical weakness like illness or mental illness or spiritual sickness. Regardless. Nonetheless, this passage is saying if you are in a place of weakness and brokenness, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, what should they do? He says, call the elders of the church to come to them. Why? To pray. The elders are to come, and it says they are to come to them, and they are to pray over them. That might mean, though it doesn't say that, it might mean that just like in some of the passages in Acts and Jesus, they put their hands on them and they put their hands over them. Maybe it's they pray over them because that person presumably is in bed sick and they are to anoint with oil in the name of the Lord as they, and they are to pray over them. Now, what's up with oil, Right? Uh, we're not sure. Uh, in fact, this week, as I was pondering this passage, I, I bought some oil of gladness. <laughs> I mean, if you search for these things on Amazon, you will find testimonies of how these are special. This is not special, guys. This is not oil of gladness. It is oil, and it smells nice. And yet I bought a two-pack because I'm going to give, I should probably buy like a four-pack to give to each of the elders. Because this passage says that we are to anoint with oil in the name of the Lord and pray over the sick. And so what's up with this oil? I've I've used oil before in praying for and anointing in, in prayer of the sick. This is not extreme unction 
that is used by the Roman Catholic Church. This is not the praying for the sick and the dying, where we anoint them or pray for them in a way, preparing them to go to heaven. That's, do you see that in this passage? That's what the Roman Catholic Church has actually referred to this passage as their textual proof for the praying for the dead or for the dying. But instead, he says, he promises much more promise than this is the, the last rites for the dead. Why the oil? Although we're not sure, and although it was used at times, oil was used at times for medicinal purposes, like, for instance, remember the story of the Good Samaritan, and the man takes him, and he binds his wounds, and he pours oil on him and gives him wine. So oil sometimes was used for medicine. It probably refers to, it's more likely to refer to a symbolic consecration to God for healing and to God's care in the name of the Lord. When we anoint or pour oil in the name of the Lord and pray over a person, in a sense it'd be like saying, in the name of the Lord, by his power and his grace and for his glory, we remember that you, name the sick person, you, Steve, belong to God we entrust and consecrate you to God into his good care, asking that he would heal you and forgive you and if there's a sin and deliver you and restore you in the name of the Lord. And if no matter what, he would be glorified by causing his will to be done and he would sustain you for your joy and for his glory. Now this... I want to make a statement here. James is not saying in this passage that Christians shouldn't seek medical help. They should just seek the elders because they're the new doctors of the New Testament. They're not. We are not. We are not called into a medical profession. This does not mean that we shouldn't seek medical treatment, but it does mean that we realize that healing, if it's going to happen, is ultimately going to happen from God, we should seek doctors. We should seek to be healthy. We should do all those things. But as I read this week, I love this statement. Even when we do go to a doctor, our eyes are to be on the Lord. He alone can heal. There is no such thing, so to speak, as a non-spiritual healing. When the aspirin works or the Tylenol or ibuprofen or whatever you take, when it works, it is the Lord that made it work. And when the surgeon sets the broken limb and the bone knits, or when the chemo or the radiation works, it is the Lord that did it. Every good gift is from God. And I want you to note from this passage, note what the believer who is sick and I think this is in the case. Note what the believer who is sick shouldn't do in this passage. They shouldn't do this. Uh, I don't want to bother those elders. It's selfish. Too many other people have problems in this world. This didn't say that. It said they should call the elders. Please bother the elders by calling us. Okay? That's an invite. 
That's an invite from the elders of this church. I know I speak for all of them. Please bother us by calling us to pray for you in the name of the Lord for you and for your good in, in obedience to this passage. In obedience to this passage. Now, the result of this prayer seems to us, from, at least from our experience, like somewhat of an over, overstatement, doesn't it? It says here in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Whoa! Is this a promise that if we pray with faith, that person will be healed? Or it says they'll be saved, so... Or is this a prayer for their salvation? Now, that doesn't seem to fit. I mean, we don't come and save their souls by praying for them. Save here often refers to healing or being raised up from sickness. It was a word that was often used even in the Gospels for Jesus raising them up after healing them. And I want you to note, though, this passage doesn't say that the, the prayer of faith from that sick person laying there will make you better. And we need to get it out of our minds, if you have ever been taught this, that if you have enough faith to heal you, God will heal you. And if you don't get healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's, there's, there's a, it's not a biblical word, but an accurate, accurate word, hogwash. <laughs> it's wrong. The, the Apostle Paul had faith. And God said, that thorn in the flesh, it's not going away. I have something better for you. Paul had sick companions. My guess is he prayed for their healing. And he prayed in faith. And I bet they had faith when they prayed and they weren't healed. What does James promise here? And is there a special prayer of faith? Is that, is that like a special thing? Or, yeah, so what is this prayer of faith? And does everyone who prays this gets the results they ask for? Now, the biblical record even shows that this is not the case. Not everybody who's prayed for. And the, I mean, just from Paul's testimony in life, our, and our experience tells us that not everyone who gets prayed for in this way gets physically healed in the way we prayed for them. So what is James getting at? Is this a special dispensation? Is this a special age of the church where he was going to do it then, but it doesn't apply to us today? I don't think so. I think that James is getting at is we are to pray in faith, the prayer of faith. We, the leaders, and I think as an example of everyone else as we pray for one another, so it's not like, oh, they're the only ones that know how to pray this way. But they are to be the shepherds who love the Lord, who, who are leading as examples and men of faith. And I love how Sinclair Ferguson defines the prayer of faith. He says, to ask God, the prayer of faith is to ask God to accomplish what he has promised in his word. That promise is the only ground of our confidence in asking we don't just go, I believe you enough that you have to do it, God, and you're going to do it because I claim it, and I'm going to name it, and you're going to do it today, God. No, he hasn't promised. He doesn't promise always these kinds of healings, but we do claim his promises. 
We don't work ourselves up into some emotional lather until we believe that God is going to do this. That's not supported by Scripture. Instead, we say, Lord, you have promised to care for this dear sister in Christ. You have adopted her as your child, and you have told us to seek and ask and knock for help, for healing. God, you promised to make her holy and blameless before you in love. So would you please take this dear friend of ours, and through her sickness, would you please grow her, and with you would please have mercy on her and touch her body and heal her. And they do this in the only name that we could ever dare to approach you by, in the name of Jesus, who is the reason why we have access to you, Father, and is the reason he rose from the dead. He promises to give us life. And God, if it is not better for you to, her to experience outward healing, would you please sustain, grow, comfort her in this affliction? And along with this, probably after a discussion with the sick person, Father, if there is any unconfessed sin, bring it out and bring it to the joyful, humble confession that you bring that she may experience the healing of forgiveness. Now, do you see in this passage the, the connection possibly of sin when we pray for the sick? Now, first of all, you might say, whoa, not every time somebody's sick, did they sin? Well, all of us sin all of the time. None of us are innocent. But Jesus did say, in response to some that were saying, Jesus, this person has born blind. Who sinned, he or his parents, that he has this affliction? And Jesus said, neither. But that God might be glorified. And yet, this passage makes it very clear that there, there, is a, there are times when Sickness and sin is connected, and we should, we should not be so full of ourselves to not welcome and the, the examination here. It says here in verse 15b, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. If he is. First of all, it's therefore we know this isn't just a spiritual sin issue, because he says he might because he says if he has committed sins, meaning there's a lot of times he, it's not about sin, but God does a work of delivering, but he might have committed sins, and if so, he'll be forgiven, restored. When we're afflicted with illness or trials of any kind, we should take time to do some spiritual evaluation. All of us should. It would be wise of the elders to ask the question to the sick, not assuming or being judgmental, but lovingly helping them. I have known people, and maybe you have too, maybe you've experienced this and say, Pastor Daniel, that's my testimony. I have known people who were afflicted with depression or headaches or other physical conditions that were tormenting their lives and the root of it all was unforgiveness or bitterness in their life. They were holding grudges of deep sin and they were, that were committed against them, and they were not letting go. They were church members, they were serving, they were tithing, they were raising a family, and they were afflicted because of this unconfessed anger against God and against others. They were angry inside, even though no one else 
Some didn't even know it. And when they, with God's help, and I'm thinking of one particular dear person in my life, a family member that has shared this with me numerous times and said, God just rescued me from this. And had a counselor say, I think it's anger and bitterness. When, God with, when with God's help, they embrace true forgiveness, realizing how great God is and that he's forgiven them and they can forgive others. When they did, they were healed I'm not saying that if you have headaches or are depressed or have physical conditions, all of which are so hard and so difficult, I'm not saying it's because there is a direct correlation from sin to confess, but it might. And oh, I do want to, as a minister of God's word, say to you that some of you might be afflicted with some things that you need to get right with the Lord and need to confess your sins to the Lord and he will forgive you. He runs to you. He desires to, with open arms, embrace you because, and you know why I know that? Because he sent his son Jesus. Run to him. God does heal brothers and sisters. And sometimes God chooses to not heal now because he intends to do something better for us. And oh, he's going to heal later. This passage maybe is like a proverb that often he does this work, but not all proverbs are a law. In that what situation should we call the elders of the church? Well, I just thought of some. First of all, if you call the elders of the church to pray, we might not all come, but some of us can come. And we would love to come and pray for you, whether it be physical, spiritual, emotional. But here are some ideas of who should call, who should take that opportunity. When facing a prolonged affliction of any kind, that you've already taken to God in prayer and you wish for the leaders to join you in praying. Or when your faith is really weak and all you can muster up is, come pray for me. I don't feel even strong enough to pray. We want to come and do that for you. Or it may not even be physical. It might feel the weak, you might feel the weakness of your mind or spirit. You have fears or anxiety or anger or depression. When you do these things, you're showing a vulnerability that can be very pleasing to the Lord if it's mixed with that humility and dependence on him and his grace. When we call for help, we are saying we're weak, and we are weak. We're saying help me, which requires this humility, and God gives grace to the humble. Now, this is not only something that elders need to do, but we need to do this. And I do believe that in obedience to this text, we will and should do this more often. In this passage, it says, invite the elders to come. Next week, we're going to look at two more kinds of prayers, praying for one another. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. I think that comes right on the heels of this, this passage. They kind of work right together. And then he gives us Elijah and he says... Elijah, amazing, amazing man, an amazing prayer warrior. His nature was just like yours. And you have been given the access just like him to pray in faith. Prayer is powerful. 
And we should believe that God will use little old ones and little young ones like us to work his mighty works, crying out to him and serving others. But I want to end with this idea of praying for the healing of the sick with a story in the book of Daniel. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? In Daniel chapter 3, these three faithful Hebrews were told not to bow down. They were told to bow down when music was played to King Nebuchadnezzar's big image. And they, when, when that music would play, they were to bow down to that image. They lived in a society where they were allowed to worship any god they want. They could worship the God of Israel, but not when that, when that music plays. They need to bow down, and they knew they couldn't. Their allegiance to God was absolute. And so they do not bow down because of their allegiance to God. And they were thrown into a fiery furnace. Fiery furnace is, it literally took place, but the idea of a furnace is a picture of affliction and trials in our lives. And the only way that they would escape perishing was through a miraculous deliverance from God. I guess, the only, I guess another way that they would experience deliverance was if they give in and they listen to the king and they bow down to the idol. And the only way they were going to escape the suffering that we, that we've, I want to say this, the only way we'll escape from the suffering that we face is through deliverance from God. If we're going to be patient in our sufferings, we need God's deliverance or else we're going to bellyate, complain, groan, moan, sin, and not honor God. And we see the faith of these three men as they model for us the faith we need, as we call the elders of the church, and as we on our own cry out to God for mercy, and before they were thrown into the furnace, listen to their response to the king, a response that I want to have in my affliction, and I hope you'll have in your affliction, whether it be cancer or children, whether it be your friends and your own stuff going on, or whatever it might be. This was their response of confident faith. If this be so, he said to the king, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Oh, this is the, the cry of faith. God is able to deliver us, and he will. But even if he doesn't, we will not, because we know whom we believe, and we are confidently submitting ourselves to his care. The Apostle Paul, with the thorn in the flesh, would say to us, I believe, friends, far too often, the thorn that you ask to remove, the thorn of pain and sickness, may be the gift from God that if you knew better, you would be glad it remains and you would entrust yourself into his care. His grace is sufficient for you, for his power is made perfect through weakness. Let's pray. Father, help us to all grasp and grapple with what James wants us to hear, that we as Sinners and sufferers ought always to pray 
Father, I pray that if there is anyone in this room afflicted in body or mind because of unconfessed sin, oh God, have mercy on them and reveal that to them and help them. Give them the strength to seek it out. And I pray that they would seek help. And God, you would bring, whether you bring physical deliverance or not, you would bring freedom and spiritual joy and deliverance and the joy of your forgiving salvation. Oh God, would you please do that? God, if there are, God, I pray for the sick in this room as, as Lee prayed before me. I pray for those that are not in this room and may call the elders of the church to come and pray for, over them in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would make this church so joyfully dependent on you that prayer becomes such a deep reflex of our lives because you are our God and we trust you and we know ourselves and we know we need you every hour. We need you, we need you. So God, help us to express that now with faith. In Jesus' name, amen.